Thank you, Pastor. Well, if you're happy and you know it, shout amen. amen. I'm trying to keep up with these young people. You get up in these skinny jeans, they come all the way up here, and you got to push them back down. Amen. Listen, we love you. We love your pastors. We're so happy to be here with you again this, uh, this conference. We're going to have a great time together. <clears throat> so, you know, I have something in my heart to share with you this morning. And, and I hope that uh, you will receive it in the spirit in which it's given. It isn't condemnation. It isn't correction. Uh, if I have to liken it to something, it would be like a, a, a spiritual pep talk. You know how the coach at the end of the season, man, the game's on the line, halftime, and, and uh, he gets the team into the dugout. And he says, uh, hey, hey, I want you to remember, team, remember this, 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 this. And uh, uh, now get out there, finish strong, play hard, right? That's the spirit in which uh, this word is coming to you this morning as a member of the body of Christ. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning as your children, as your family. Thank you that we can be encouraged with your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we expect that that will be the result of that which you've placed in our heart today to share. So thank you for ears to hear, hearts to receive, and uh, the empowerment of the Spirit to do it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? <laughs> you know, throughout my uh, tenure as, as a minister, and I've been in full-time ministry, I don't know, since 1988, so whatever that is. And so, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to be a commencement speaker at various uh, Bible school graduations, commencement uh, ceremonies, uh, both here in America and also abroad. And of course, you know, we were gathered in those particular assemblies to uh, recognize and to award individuals for their academic accomplishments. And many times as I stood before those students, cognizant of the fact they were about to receive a diploma, I would reflect upon the reality that one day, and I believe one day soon, every single one of us will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who will at that time acknowledge and reward all of those who have been faithful uh, to serve him, to obey him, and to carry out his kingdom purposes in the earth. I think it's vitally important uh, that you and I understand, and very attentively and soberly so, the times in which we're living, how quickly this dispensation is culminating, and why we do what we do as believers, and why we live the way we live. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul writing, he said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with those words. I don't know about you, but that is a day that I am looking forward to. It's one I have anticipated since I was a young child, and I believe in its imminent reality. Not only is Jesus coming to catch away his glorious church, uh, but he will ultimately bind Satan. He will restore righteousness and justice in this earth. And also the Bible says that when he comes, he's bringing something with him. Revelation chapter 22, notice verses 12 through 14. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. You know, as I said, that's a day uh, that I'm looking forward to. And it's a day that I think should be a constant source of reflection in the hearts and the minds of every Christian. That immediately following the catching away of the church will be what we term the, the great tribunal of the church. 
one of the greatest award ceremonies that you have ever seen. Uh, the scripture calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I realize that when you use the word judgment, it tends to make people nervous, you know. But the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with one's salvation. It isn't the time or place where one's eternal destiny is determined heaven or hell. That will have been predetermined while in the body on the earth through personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so the judgment seat of Christ is exclusively for believers. And it will once again be the, the, the time uh, and the place where our works or our deeds are analyzed uh, to see what was the motivation behind them, right? And we will be rewarded accordingly. So the judgment seat of Christ isn't to be confused with the great white throne judgment that occurs at the consummation of the millennial rule and reign and is reserved primarily for the wicked dead. <clears throat> you know, people get excited about the Emmy Awards, the Grammy Awards. I don't, but some people do. The Tony Awards, you know, uh, where people are recognized and rewarded for their various artistic abilities in maybe in, in music, in acting, uh, in script. But how many of you know that one day you and I are going to receive a reward for acting also? Acting like the Bible was true and living our lives in accordance with it because it is. Woo, that's going to be an awesome day. Their reward is earthly and temporal. Ours will be eternal. Their walk down the red carpet will pale in comparison to our walk down the streets of gold with a crown of righteousness on our head. Woo, hallelujah. Paul speaks of this event several places in the New Testament. One is in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. Notice, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So once again, the reality is we're all going to stand uh, before the Lord Jesus Christ, before this judgment seat, and we will give an account in a sense of the works that we've done and the life that we've lived. And you know what? That moment when I am looking at him face to face and you likewise what others thought about my words or my deeds will be of no consequence. It will be exclusively his thoughts, his judgment, his opinion that matters. It won't necessarily matter what kind of clothes I wore, car I drove, house I lived in, how many trophies I had on the shelf, or how much money I had in the bank, although we understand it isn't an infraction against kingdom living, to have and enjoy those things. But at that moment, the only considerations will be, did I please you? Did I obey you? Did I apprehend the things that you apprehended me for? Did I run the race that you marked out for me to run? Or did I pursue my own agenda, my own comfort, my own pleasure? Was I kind to others? Did I apprehend or reach the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? Did I love my neighbor as I love myself? Did I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? These are the kinds of questions that you and I will be rehearsing at that moment. And the only way that we're going to be able to answer those questions with an affirmative yes is if we live our lives now with a very clear sense of purpose and direction and we run this race with an eternal perspective. You know, it's so easy to be consumed, isn't it, with our natural life, preoccupied with all the voices and the commotion that are in this present world and forget what our lives and our journey through this life is really all about. The Bible likens our life in Christ to a race that we're running. Are you with me? It isn't a sprint. It's not the long jump. It's a marathon. 
So we have to pace ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves. We have to talk to ourselves when necessary (laughs) and keep our focus. So this morning at the Holy Spirit's direction, and once again, this is a pep talk. Ready, team? I want to give you some things, uh, some keys that you can implement that will assist you or optimize your spiritual endurance and assist you in running this race well so that uh, we can finish strong. And when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, we can stand with a sense of confidence. I call them things to keep, things to keep. The first one we find over in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Wherefore, seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let's run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice verse 2, looking unto Jesus. The first thing I want to encourage you to keep this morning is to keep your eyes on Jesus. As we're running this race, as we're finishing this race, because he's coming soon, we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. Anyone who is an experienced runner or uh, participates in competitive racing, both of my girls are long-distance runners and also participate in track, they will tell you that the moment you take your eyes off the finish line, you take your eyes off the goal, you get distracted by the things around you and the people around you is the very moment that you lose the ability to run that race successfully. You know, as we mentioned, it's so easy, isn't it, to become captivated by our daily responsibilities, routines, activities, that, uh, you know, we can uh, lose our focus, particularly when it comes to spiritual things. So the only way that we're going to be able to run this race successfully is if we keep our eyes on Jesus. Now notice, I did not say keep your eyes on your fellow Christian or family members or co-workers, right, or politicians. (laughs) We said keep our eyes on Jesus. We say that because people can be very distracting, if we allow them to. Look, none of us are perfect. We've all got areas that we can work on. But if we're not careful, uh, we can begin to zero in on what we perceive to be the inadequacies, the faults uh, of the people around us. And we can begin to get aggravated and agitated and allow their behavior to influence our own attitudes and outlook. So we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. There are going to always be distractions along the way as we run this race. How many of you know Satan is the master of distraction? Things are going to happen in life, in the world, in the work environment, in the church environment, in our personal lives. But if we're going to run this race successfully, we've got to ignore the distractions and keep our eyes on Jesus. Notice Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all the sideshow distractions. And how many of you know in this crazy world right now, man, there's a lot of sideshow distractions But I have a choice as to what I give my attention to. Are you with me? So we're going to ignore all the sideshow distractions. Verse 26, watch your step and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither to the right nor the left. Leave evil in the dust. Now I want to read Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 12 again, verses 1 through 3 out of the Message Bible because it brings a little more clarity. Do you see then what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, these veterans of the faith that are looking on, it means we better get on with it, 
strip down, start running, never quit, no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins, things that kind of suck, you know, the spiritual life out of you. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. He never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's in a place of honor. Right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot some adrenaline into your souls. You might be here this morning and say, amen, I can identify. I just feel like I've been plowing through life recently. Well, you're in good company. Jesus had plenty of things he had to plow through. But I just want to encourage you this morning, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep plowing because you're going to come to the end of that field and it will ultimately yield a tremendous harvest. Are you with me? Everybody say, keep your eyes on Jesus. The second thing, team, I want to encourage you this morning as we're finishing this race, number two, is to keep your affections on things above. Keep your affections on things above. Notice in 2 Timothy 2 and 4, the Bible says every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. You know, as we said, it's, it's very easy, isn't it, to become entangled and captivated by the things of the world and to allow the things of the world to infiltrate our hearts and our minds uh, to such a degree that they actually become a higher priority and pursuit than spiritual things. So you're familiar with Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 2. Notice Paul said, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection, right? Your what? Your mind, your heart, your pursuit, your desire. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, how many of you have heard the old saying, and I'm sure you have, that it's possible to be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good? But did you know the other side of that coin is also true? It's possible to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. <laughs> so what we want to do we want to bring a balance to life. We want to live to learn, we want to learn to live proficiently in both realms. And the way that we do that is to prioritize. Are you with me? Prioritize. Bring a balance to life. Keep our affections. Here's the key word. Keep our affections, our mind, our love, our pursuit primarily. Primarily on things above. And don't allow ourselves to become preoccupied and consumed, here's the next word, exclusively with the things of this world. Notice the balance. Primarily here, not exclusively here. So uh, there's a balance to it. So as a Christian, you know, our perspective in life needs to be uh, an eternal one. The, the Bible likens uh, our life as we know it, this earthly existence, uh, to a very brief scope uh, in eternity. I mean, it likens our life as a, a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. Grass that withers, flowers that fade, right? A shadow that passes. Just want to edify you this morning. 
But the older you get, you realize, man, that's a reality. This thing goes fast. And so while we're here, we want to make it count. Are you with me? We want to keep our affections on things above, having a proper perspective of this world. And listen, making good decisions in light of that perspective is crucial. So the Apostle John gives us some great counsel along these lines. Notice 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17. Watch this. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world can offer, here we go, the gratification of the flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, the obsession with status and importance, none of these things are of the Father, but they're from the world. And this world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those who love to do the will of God will live forever. That's you and me. Woohoo! So we said, understanding the brevity of our life and making good decisions uh, and intelligent decisions in the light of, of this reality is very important. Uh, the world is temporary. Are you listening? This world is in the process of passing away and everything associated with it except people. <laughs> people are the only eternal things that you and I come in contact with from a natural perspective on this planet. So we want to put our emphasis, our time, and our priority in impacting people's lives in a positive way for the kingdom of God. I want to lay up treasures in heaven. I want to invest now for reward later. And being a part of a local church like this and giving and serving and, and interacting with your fellow brothers and sisters and being a blessing, that's a place where we can do it. So congratulations for being here, right? <clears throat> so there's a lot of things we can do, friends, in this world. Temporary gratifications, the pleasures of sin for a season, right? And it is pleasurable. But once again, you and I have to make intelligent decisions based upon truth. And the truth is, this thing's passing away. We don't want to put our stock in it, right? So, I'm not implying, and neither is the Holy Ghost, that we can't enjoy life. Absolutely, man. Family, friends, hobbies, activities, entertainment. Enjoy it. What we're talking about is our primary affections are to be on things above, and all else are secondary. So it's a content and potential preoccupation that, that we're talking about, all right? Everybody with me? How you doing, team? Oh, Jesus is coming, right? We got a race to finish. What are we going to do? We're going to keep our eyes on him. We're going to keep our affections primarily on things above. And the only way that you and I are going to be able to do the number two that we just mentioned is if we do number three. And that is keep our hearts with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. Jesus had a lot to say about uh, the heart of man. I want to read you two verses and then we'll comment, okay? The first one is in Matthew 12, 35. A good man out of the good treasure, one translation says good deposits of his heart, brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure or evil deposits of his heart brings forth evil things. Now let me read you another one. Mark 7, 18 through 23. No, <clears throat> nothing that goes into a man's mouth from the outside can defile him or make him unclean 
Why? Because it doesn't reach into the heart. It goes into the stomach and it passes out of the body altogether. It is what comes out of a man's heart that pollutes him. For from inside a man's heart come evil thoughts, adultery, theft, murder, jealousy, slander, arrogance. All of these evils issue and proceed from where? From within. So what do these verses tell us? Basically, it tells us that the heart of man is like a bank account. Whatever is deposited into the heart... That is exactly what will be withdrawn. As Pastor was talking about, you know, farming, our hearts are very fertile soil. Whatever seed is planted in the heart will germinate, develop, grow, and will release the fruit of that seed into the life, whether it be positive or negative. So notice again in Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure or the good deposits of his heart brings forth good things and likewise an evil man. Now, now sometimes people say to me, Brother Marty, I'm a born-again Christian. I know I've been made a new creation in Christ. But man, I've got uh, thoughts that I'm dealing with, I respond and I react in certain ways. I find myself just flying off the handle, cussing, and you know, I don't even realize I'm about to do it, and I do it. I don't understand my actions and my responses. I'm a Christian. I know you're a Christian. But as Christians, we've still been given the responsibility to steward our hearts, because the heart is the seat of our person. And the reality is, it boils down to what I've taught my children, my girls, since they were this high. Girls, yes, sir, garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you allow to be planted in the field of your hearts, that's exactly what will spring up in your life. And what are the seed bearers? I know this is not, you know, running around the room this morning, but it's essential. What are the seed bearers? The music we listen to and the lyrics that are carried in that music. The movies that we're watching, full of profanity, violent sensuality. Why are 12-year-olds shooting and murdering people? It's a mystery. No, it isn't a mystery. They're watching violent video games every day of their life. And it's being planted in their hearts. And the fruit of that seed is springing up. Are you with me? So the music, the movies, the live streams, the, the internet, the company we keep, all of these things are what we call seed bearers. And guess what? The heart is non-discriminatory where seed is concerned. That's my job. I'm the gatekeeper. So I have to be very diligent and discerning what type of seed I'm allowing to be planted in my heart. Are you with me? We've got to be cognizant and aware of the deposits that we're making because Whatever seed is planted, it will once again germinate, develop, grow, and release the fruit of that seed into the life, whether it be positive, negative, good, or evil. So uh, Proverbs 4.23, notice, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart. One translation says, listen, above everything that you guard, guard your heart. Because your heart is the well from which your life springs. Isn't that powerful? I know you know these truths. We're just kind of bringing it to our remembrance. So you know John G. Lake, powerful man of God. Notice what he said. I'll just quote it to you. He said, if one would be a Christian... I mean a real one, he said. He must close the mind, close the heart, 
close the being to all that is evil and live with an openness to God only so that the glory of God shines in, but all that is dark is shut out. That's powerful, isn't it? So you might be here this morning and say, well, hey, I hear you, but man, I just hadn't done a good job of that. Well, I've been there in life too. And, and so is there a remedy? Absolutely, man. You can clear the field. You can plant new seed. You can get a new harvest. This word of God is likened to water that washes. You ever had a, like a little coffee in the bottom of your cup or a little dirt in a container and you put it under the faucet and you turn that faucet on full blast? What happens? What's in the bottom is displaced, right? So it's called, uh, what is it, osmosis or displacement, the law of displacement. So you can displace the old with the new. Just begin to put yourself under the influence of the Word of God as much as possible, man. Wash and renew your mind. Plant that seed into your heart, and you'll change that harvest, all right? So this 2022 and coming into the next year, we're going to live with an openness to God only. Are you with me? All right, everybody say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your affection on things above. Keep your heart with all diligence. I got two more. Can you stick with me? Woo, go Brother Marty. Number four, number four. It's found in Jude verses 20 and 21. Beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now watch, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So number four, what are we going to keep? Keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Now look, for most of us, that's a full-time job, right? Let's just admit it. John 13 and 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now notice a commandment, right? So it's not a suggestion, a new suggestion I give. No, it's, it's a commandment, which in, in essence is a law. Just like there are natural laws in this earth that we follow because, uh, you know, if we don't, there could be a consequence. There's a speed limit. And if you violate that law, there's potentially a consequence. And I must admit, I, I have violated and suffered the consequence occasionally of that particular law. But I do my best. I, man, I got a heavy foot. I like to get where I'm going. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> but love is a law. And I want you to notice the nature of this God kind of love. 1 John 4 and 7 and also verses 10 and 11. Beloved, let's love one another. Love is of God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Now watch verse 10. Here's the characteristic of it. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love one another. Now notice the phrase, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. That's the characteristic of God's love, irrespective of our initial spiritual condition, our performance, our response to Him, our faults, our imperfections. The Bible says He loved us unconditionally while we were yet sinners. Are you with me? So God is simply saying, listen, if I can love you, Marty, or you, whatever your name is, in spite of your reactions and responses at times that are less than perfect, our imperfections, our faults, our failures, if I can love you beyond those moments, for goodness sake, can't you extend the same kind of love and courtesy to your fellow Christians and to others? Right? And what's the answer? We can. None of us are perfect. Are we? None of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes at times. We're going to potentially react and respond inappropriately at times. But we've got to extend to others the same love and mercy that we look to God to extend to us. 
So over in Mark chapter 11, you've read it many times, Jesus talking about the relationship between faith and forgiveness. Watch this. Whenever you stand praying, verse 25 and 26, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Let it drop. Leave it. Let it go. In order that your Father who's in heaven may also forgive you of your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. Man, guys, I don't know about you, but I need to be on the mercy side. Anybody with me? I've awakened to those mercies many mornings, right? I need to be on the mercy side. And so the Bible says, if you give judgment without mercy, you will receive judgment without mercy, right? So we want to give love. We want to extend mercy. We want to forgive. Anybody with me? We got to walk in love. You know, it's unfortunately easy to allow these little grievances, these little offenses uh, to get down on the inside of us and to begin to formulate what the book of Hebrews, I think it's chapters 12 or 13, one, it talks about what they call roots of bitterness. Do you have, you have you heard that term? So, so how do roots of bitterness formulate? Anybody know? Through reflection. The offense comes, the words are spoken, the deed is done, and we begin to reflect and rehearse it. How dare you treat me like that? How could you speak to me? How could you say that? How could you do that? Are you with me? And man, we just reflect upon it. And the more we reflect, the angrier we get until it what? Ultimately, man, it goes down on the inside and it produces the fruit of bitterness. And then the scripture says that bitterness springs up and it defiles us. It affects our relationships. It affects us spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally. Physically, did I say that? You know, it can, right? So we have to watch these things. You know, I was 18 years old. Uh, I was raised Southern Baptist. I was 18 years old. I went to a Catholic Bible study, as I've told you, in times past, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was in the summer uh, of 1980. And so I went off to college to a Baptist university, Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. <clears throat> And man, within the first week or so, uh, you know, I, I'm in my dorm room. They put three of us in one dorm room when you're a freshman. So I had two upperclassmen in there, and they were out uh, doing something. I was in the dorm room by myself. Well, I just received this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and man, I was on fire. Woo, I was crazy. <laughs> I'm still a little crazy. But anyway, man, I was, I mean, I was on fire and I, I just got down on my knees and I'm praising God in that dorm room and I'm praying in the spirit. What happened was the farthest thing from my mind. All of a sudden, man, a vision unfolds before me. Now, my eyes are closed, so it's a spiritual vision where my eyes are closed, but I'm seeing into the spirit realm. Never had anything like that happen before in my life. And man, I'm watching this thing unfold, and it's a huge file cabinet, massive. And all of a sudden, you know how on the outside of those file cabinets, they were labeled many times with topically or alphabetically? Any young people know what a file cabinet is? I don't even know if they have that anymore. <laughs> God relates to you where you are, you know. But man, we had file cabinets. And all of a sudden in this vision, it scrolled down to the bottom drawer. And on the outside of that bottom drawer was written the word unforgiveness. And this huge hand appeared out of nowhere and opened that drawer. And when the drawer opened, out popped the face of my dad. And the Lord said to me, you have unforgiveness against your father in the inner recesses of your heart. You must forgive him.
Now, I had covered things up, you know, and I, I wasn't really acutely aware of that reality, even though I was very acutely aware of the fact that when I was a child, and my, my, my sister and my mother and I, my dad was, uh, you know, a hot-tempered man. He was a good man. He was a good provider. Uh, people loved my father, you know, but in the home, man, he was, he was hot-tempered. We walked on eggshells. Don't set daddy off. Because if you set daddy off, you better run for the hills. Me, my sister, and my mom included. Because it was not a pretty scene. Are you with me? And so growing up, living under that, I resented it. And I resented the way he treated my mother. And so I guess I had pushed it down. And so the Lord said, you must forgive your dad. And man, right there on that floor, I just began to weep. And I said, Lord, I do forgive my dad. I love my dad. And I did. Because time has a way of, you know, things, you put them on the back shelf, you know. And I forgave my dad. I got up there, man, a free man. And my spiritual life began to, to move forward. But the most beautiful thing is, I forgave my dad. And I believe as a result, and I started praying for my dad, my dad had a supernatural encounter with a vision, now I'm talking about, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was totally revolutionized. He became the most tender, precious. This was about age 40. He lived till 82. The most tender, precious man you could ever imagine. I mean, my dad would cry at the blessing at Thanksgiving. I'd say, Dad, come on, we're just saying the blessing. Oh, get you. You know, because he was just so tender and he was so grateful. So there's something about releasing people. It not only frees us, but it frees them. Amen. So let's walk in love. Anybody with me? Daryl Copes, man, he was the bass player who used to travel with us in the Raymond Singers of Band. He used to have this saying. He said, flesh is flesh no matter whose bones it's on. Right? We've all got it. My dad's in heaven rejoicing. My mama's there. We're going to see him soon. But we're going to walk in love and finish strong. Are you with me? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to stay in abusive situations or that you have to be somebody's doormat right? Or you have to entrust yourself to someone that is not trustworthy. But it does mean that you are to release and not harbor those feelings or attitudes of resentment and unforgiveness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it because it does. Woo! Preach it, Brother Marty. Anybody with me this morning? I know it's a little heavy, but I'm trying to keep it light because it's important. Jesus is coming. We're going to run this race. What are we going to do, Brother Marty? I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep my affection on things above. I'm going to keep my heart with all diligence, and I'm going to keep myself in the love of God. And number five and final, very short. Number five, we're going to keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on, man. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Notice what Paul said. Let's not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we'll reap if we do not lose heart. Guys, we've got a race to run. We've got a course to finish. I want our testimony to be like the Apostle Paul's. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. What did he say? He said, hey, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Therefore, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. That crown represents a place of dominion and rulership. It's an emblem of a champion. It's a place of honor. And it represents a place that God has prepared for every single one of us. But notice Paul speaking about running this race and contending for the crown. 
Notice in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. He's just talking about our attitude. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it to win an eternal prize. The King James says, an incorruptible crown. Thank God for the blessings of the here and now, but guys, nothing is going to compare to that moment and that day when we receive an incorruptible, imperishable crown. There's all types of crowns. you got the crown of righteousness, the, the incorruptible crown, the soul winner's crown, you know. But hey, we're contending. Everybody on board? So... We want to contend well, especially now in the closing of this dispensation. Revelation 3.11, here we go. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Notice, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. <laughs> I'm not going to let the devil take it. I'm not going to let the flesh take it. Offense, take it. Personal discouragement or disappointment, take it. I'm going to contend. How about you? I'm going to run this race. Let me leave you with these words this morning. This is our final scripture. And it's kind of a compilation of two scriptures. Out of uh, 2 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, I put it together. But they'll have it up here for you. Notice 2 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 15. Notice, be strong. In the grace. It's not about what we can do. Right? It's not through the power of our own will and our own efforts. No. By the grace of God. His ability. Working in us and for us and through us. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Here we go. Stand firm. Unyielding unrelenting, determined, and secure. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence, knowing that you prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. And your union with the Lord will make your labor productive with fruit that remains. Glory to God. Doesn't matter if you're in full-time ministry, a layman serving in the church, an employer, an employee uh, involved in domestic uh, uh, care, whatever your walk of life may be, let's continue to let our light shine. All right? Let's run this race. Let's run it well. Let's glorify our Father who's in heaven. Everybody repeat after me this morning. I want you to say, I will run my race. I will finish my course. I will keep my eyes on Jesus. I will keep my affections on things above. I will keep my heart with all diligence. I will keep myself in the love of God. And I will keep on keeping on. Amen. Listen, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. I know this is a different message for Sunday morning, but it's important, and it's the heart of God. Because, once again, Jesus is coming, man. And we want to run this race and live this life with a sense of purpose. Sometimes we just need to be reminded this isn't all there is. There's so much more after this. Are you with me? So maybe you're here this morning and you say, man, I, I, I honestly, I heard what was spoken and I, I just want to make some personal adjustments or I want to forgive and let some things go. That's just between you and God. So take a moment and you don't have to make a big show of it. Just kind of, Take care of it there within your own heart if you need to. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we love you. 
We worship you. Thank you for healing hearts, broken hearts, binding up wounds of the past, washing them right now. Thank you, Lord, that through the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And you throw them into the sea of forgetfulness and you will not remember them. So there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus as we walk after the Spirit now. Enable us. Help us. Because the time is short. We know you're coming. <laughs> and we're so anticipating it. You know, the word of the Lord came to me. He speaks to me many times, as you know, in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, prophetic utterances. And the word of the Lord came to me in, in, in recent times. And he said, the gathering of the saints is drawing near. So open your hearts and be attentive and hear. For this earthly race that you are running carries eternal glory and weight. And your reward will be waiting the day that you enter heaven's gate. So lay aside every encumbrance. Set your affection on things above. Keep your heart with all diligence and walk in a spirit of love and run the race that is set before you with great passion and zeal and determined intent so that the day you stand before me you'll be found faithful and will have apprehended that for which you were born and that for which you were sent. And so keep your eyes now steadfastly upon me in the days ahead and listen carefully to my spirit and endeavor to be led so that your steps might be ordered and your path might be made secure and fight the good fight of faith and remain steadfast and endure and so shall you be rewarded on that great and glorious day. And as you stand before the one who has redeemed you, you'll hear him say, Well done. Well done, my faithful daughter. Well done, my faithful son. Well done. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our hands just for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I hope that you'll go out of here this morning, not down or down on yourself, but man, uplifted, renewed, returned.